We've had students, um, uh, at-risk moms, who have attended our services, and not only from the Volunteers of America, but Lutheran Social Services. And that led to a few conversations with Dennis and his team saying, how can we get more involved with these students? And, and it's great they're in church, but I don't want to limit it to that. And then uh, in our conversation the last time we were meeting, maybe, or a cup, now we've met three, four times the last month, but uh, about a month ago I said to Jason, you don't have any space over there at the Volunteers of America, do you? Because, you know, our lease is up here, Falls Church at 4060 South Grange. And a uh, big smile came on Jason's face, and he said, well, let's go take a look. And uh, they had some shifting f uh, programs happening to where they moved. Uh, when you go out our parking lot and turn to the right, and you go about two blocks west, you have to go, like, to the rental place and a little left by the, skate, by the uh, skating rink and that. There, there's two big campus, bunch of buildings and campuses for Volunteers of America. They have... Eight other, they have eight to ten buildings around this community, but just a couple blocks from us there's, are these, and they've shifted a lot of their program uh, needs have shifted where they've moved over to that building, and there's a building they use, but it's sitting wide open Sundays, sitting wide open Wednesday nights, and uh, so we've had some conversation about uh, could Falls Church be there, and every time I come up with a reason why maybe it wouldn't work there. I was, last uh, thing I mentioned to us was like, I'd just be sad not to see our sign on 229. He's like, well, couldn't you mount that digital sign to the side of our building? Isn't that right on 229? I'm like, you'd let us? You know? <laughs> and uh, so we've just been having this conversation about possibly uh, moving from this location to a couple blocks away and renovating their, uh, they have a space that's uh, about two times bigger than this that we could uh, help renovate turn it into more of a multi-purpose area. And so there's going to be opportunity for anybody here today. Uh, we took a couple dozen through there after the first service. So if there's a, you know, whoever wants to go from this group, right after the service, we're shooting two blocks over and we're going to walk through. You can see there's, there's classrooms available. There's a nice little lobby as you enter. There's a fantastic uh, gymnasium that we can um, do some Kind of, kind of the vision would be like to move our sound, video, and lighting over there and, and, and decorate it in a way that it becomes a fantastic multi-purpose center, but still has great gymnasium uh, use as well. And so uh, they said, that sounds great. And so we're just kind of working on the details of what that would look like, but it would significantly reduce our, our monthly obligations in a dynamic way that we feel like I mean, it was a great last year that we gave 10% of our income away to, from Falls Church, uh, but wouldn't it be great if sometimes it was, uh, you know, 80 and 90% we gave away uh, because we could, and it wasn't about us having a big, shiny building. It was about uh, touching people's lives, and, and uh, so I know that's the heart of so many of you here, and... Uh, so uh, things have been lining up in a pretty pretty dynamic way. We've looked at about a half dozen other spaces around, but this one just you know uh, uh, seems to be probably the the most uh, the, the best opportunity for us at this time. Even though we've got a few months, but we'd like to kind of hone in on it. And so, getting a little bit of your feedback and helping you see it. So right, Dennis was able to come tell us a little bit about VOA, and then also just go over and look at the facility. So right at 12 o'clock, we'll be
heading out and running over there. So if you can follow us over there two blocks away, uh, that'd be, be great. It'd take 10, 15 minutes for you to see some of the classrooms that are right by the gym. It's all right together, too, so it's, it's pretty dynamic. So let's stand together, continue in worship. Father, <clears throat> all that we've come here with all our different backgrounds and all the different things that are colliding on our schedule, yet we've made a priority in our week to say you are what counts the most, uh, to build an altar here before, before you, to come together as a body with many members, but Christ is the head. Would you continue to be our focus, um, uh, why we celebrate in this place, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in the book of Jude. And uh, there's certain texts, certain things you can't avoid. And uh, Jude, uh, verse 1, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to, ur to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. The letter is really aggressive. There's not a lot of flowery conversation where Jude goes right into it. It's, it's, uh, but there is this, uh, I think, softness to it that, that comes across not in a condemning way, but like a parent or a mentor or a counselor, a teacher who might be having to say some things that he knows the student or the mentee uh, won't, uh, is not going to like hearing, but the danger about choices that are before them. And maybe better than that is the head coach who has to have difficult conversations with a star player, knowing that when he cuts this player and tells him he can't play anymore, that the team won't be as good without this player, but he knows that there's more about the life success of an individual that's on the line here, and that even if, even if this means uh, departing of ways, and, and that the coach will be hated by the player, and that people will feel like this really hurts their chances. But there's that belief that doing the right thing, saying the right thing is important, and that maybe the young person will come back to the coach, might be years later, might be the end of their life, and thank them for not allowing them to compromise and continue down a path of self-destruction. But in Jude's case, he's warning the coaching staff too. The pastoral leadership, the Jewish leaders that were represented, actually leaders operating under the guise of caring saints, but then undermining, undermining a path of holiness before the Lord. Talking about the grace of God, which is huge, but the grace of God in such a manner to, so that they can stay in their sin. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, Jews, Jude's warnings are to the Jews, God's people, and they're, they're even, he even mentions celestial beings saying that no one's exempt. The created beings of God and, and the, the lost Gentiles of Sodom and Gomorrah, that, that God's people and God's created, created creatures and, and even those who don't follow him, that God is calling them all into right relationship. Dave talked about last week three, the way, the three examples that Jude gives, the way of Cain or, or the, the way of the skeptic, Balaam's error, 
uh, his, his temptation with greed and Korah's rebellion and, uh, and, and jealousy and pride and undermining leadership. And that was a fantastic message, Dave, by the way. Thank you. But before I jump into verses 12 and 13, I want to read the end of the letter. We've read the beginning that there's this care. And we read, oh, we've read that already, but it demonstrates the goal, I think, when you get to the end of this brief little letter, verse 24, Jude says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Christ Jesus our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore, that the Lord is able to keep us. That's the concern, that there are a lot of things going on. There are a lot of things being said. There's a lot of, there, there's a lot of conversation out there about a belief system, and, and, and yet these what you believe is going to affect how you live, and how you live is going to make a difference for all eternity. And Jude is concerned that you're in dangerous waters here. Verse 12, he says, these people are blemishes at your love feasts. This is where the term an agape love, and a, a, that there was a, these godly feasts together as the church, that they would eat together. And the people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you, without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They're clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They're wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars, for whom blackest darkness is reserved forever. That's not very cozy message, the, dark, the blackest darkness is reserved forever. Talking about what you say and how you use your influence on the other minds of other people, there will be an accountability for it. Whether you call yourself a shepherd or a, a pastor, you're supposed to be watching over and caring for, but your motive is about what you can get for yourself. That your clouds without rain, we, we see the clouds coming and oh, we're in the wilderness, we've needed this rain for our crops, but nothing happens. Your trees, that, that you're supposed to bear fruit and it's autumn trees, so it's the time of harvest, but there's no fruit there. He doesn't say the word hell, but the judgment for sin and the suffering of eternity is impossible to miss, for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. God is full of grace, but God is full of truth and justice as well. And just as obedience assures blessing and eternal joy, disobedience and living by the flesh equates to earning the rewards of that lifestyle as well, which is punishment. Paul said it this way in 2 Thessalonians, God is just he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and, and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in a blazing fire with powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of, of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified 
in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. And this includes you because you believed our testimony to you. <laughs> Believing is really important, right? Believing the words of truth is, is, is the, the difference for all eternity. We all like a God. We all prefer a God who gives to us, who blesses us, who provides for us. And both psychologists and theologians would agree that people often view God the way they view their earthly fathers. That's why, right, we're always trying to like, uh, we want healthy families and healthy men because people often, you know, compare when they hear Father in heaven, and it should be the, it should be the opposite. There should be like an understanding of a, of a, a caring, loving, all-powerful being, and then uh, that some men who cr helped create babies inherit his name. It should be the reverse, but, but we usually view our, our heavenly Father through the shade and the tainted lenses of our earthly fathers. And in our country, especially in these days, we have a culture that promotes a sensitive and caring dad, which is not bad, but we often scoff at the discipline of a parent. We prefer a patient old grandfather type of God who loves us and gives us good things and is always gentle and would never discipline us. But Jesus, in his humility and gentleness, it could be argued, warns against the fires of hell more than any other preacher. He warns against uh, the responsibility of what you, how you influence other people. Jesus said this in Mark 42, chapter 9, Mark 9, 42, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble... It would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter the life maimed than with two hands and go to hell where, there's fire, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut that off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. He says this not to condemn, but to warn, to say, look out. Don't you realize you have so few days on this earth, even if you live to be really old with gray in your beard like Pastor Lance, it's still just a vapor. It's just a little bit of tiny time. And Jude ends with, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence. That's his goal. And he's, he's giving these warnings to say, I want you to be in the glorious presence of the Lord with great joy. That our God and Savior, where there is glory and majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Jonathan Edwards in the early 1700, 1740, preached a message titled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it was said of those in the chapel that day that they 
There were those who grabbed the pew in front of them for fear that the ground was going to shake and open and swallow them up in their sin. He tried to dramatically relay the, the, the fires of, of, of eternal damnation. He said, the body will be full of torment as full as it can hold, and every part of it shall be full of torment. They shall be in extreme pain. Every joint of them, every nerve shall be full of inexpressible torment. They shall be tormented even to their fingers' ends. The whole body shall be full of the wrath of God. Their hearts and bowels and their heads and their eyes and their tongues, their hands, their feet will be filled with the fierceness of God's wrath. Pastors are not the only false teachers in our culture. Our culture is filled with people who think they know stuff and they're blogging it and putting it on their website and posting it on their Facebook page and trying to influence others. There are academic circles, what, uh, gatherings of every type. There's all these kinds of people groups that gather together and what do they want to relay to them? Their values, their mission, and their purpose. And justify their behaviors. Do we have concerns with false teachers in our culture? Yes, they're all over. They're not just, they're not merely behind pulpits. They're all over. There are folks that are perverting the grace of God as a license for sin. They're deciding how they want to live. Does our culture even believe in absolute truth? Or is truth relative in our culture? It seems like these phrases are really normal. I'm glad that works for you. Or, or hey, you have your beliefs, I have mine. <laughs> and the ever famous, I'm a very spiritual person, I'm just not religious. You know, I don't, go to, I don't believe in organized church. You know. Spiritual relativism has leaked into the church and our culture where truth is subjective, where anyone who makes a truth claim in the name of Jesus, <laughs> it's bold and uh, arrogant. The Stanford Encyclopedia <laughs> explains relativism as follows. This made me chuckle. The label relativism has been attached to a wide range of ideas and positions which may explain the lack of consensus on how that term should be defined. The profusion of the use of the term relativism in contemporary philosophy means that there is no ready consensus on any one definition for the word. <laughs> Meaning, even relativism, relativism can't be defined. <laughs> because everybody's own individual culture, education, and understanding, and what they think relativism is, is what relativism is to them, and probably not to somebody else, which makes anyone who makes a bold declaration of the truth of the words of Jesus Christ, suddenly you are viewed and appear as ignorant. And it's getting harder and harder to talk about the truth of the words of Jesus without being labeled a bigot, a homophobe, or a judgmental, narrow-minded, insensitive jerk with a jean jacket 
pounding on a pulpit. But Lord, protect us from the false teachings that lead people into error. Dr. Matthias' explanation of the dangers of relativism I like. He said the doctrine of relativism undermines most authority structures and it leads to confusion. For instance, here's his two examples. In some states of America, a pregnant woman can be charged with child abuse if she uses illegal drugs while pregnant, right? But there's no law against her aborting and executing that same child. Here's another example he gives. A school nurse cannot dispense pain reliever for a headache without written permission from the parents, but a pregnant student does not need any parental permission to abort the pregnancy and kill the child in her womb. The question is, who calls the shots? The answer is that in this society, we're finding fewer and fewer people who will boldly tell others to follow certain absolute precepts because each one, it's believed, is right in their own eyes. Judges chapter 17, it's as old as, as the beginning of time. Look back into the ancient of days when Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Everyone did as they saw fit. So it makes sense to me that those that are not under the lordship of Jesus Christ would do as they see fit, would make up their own rules for their life and, and therefore justify it to themselves. They, they, they do what's right in their own eyes. The Greek philosopher Protagoras, some 2,500 years ago, introduced this concept of subjective truth or judgment. According to Protagoras, man can derive truth for himself. That means what's right for one may not be right for another and vice versa. Each one does what's right for himself. His famous formula, man is the measure of all things, is indicative of his relativism, which ultimately rests upon his theory of perception according to which we, only, we know only what we perceive, but not the thing perceived. <laughs> I like this equation from Dr. Matthias, freedom plus true Christianity plus biblical values equals creativity and order, and the danger is freedom minus biblical values plus relativism equals chaos and confusion. And I would say taking relativism on its own course, following it to an extreme, you become your own source for truth, and therefore, you are your own God. And, and if you're your own God, then when this life's over, you're going to have to rescue yourself for all eternity. You're going to have to answer. I'm out of time, so I'm going to say goodbye to those two pages.
we do know that there's a very real threat to how you think and how you process in our country because that destination of your thought life often influences your life of activity and faith and works and how you, what you believe and what you do, they got to work together. I want to finish with Jude's words for the fourth time in this short message. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Will you stand with me? It would be real easy to leave this chapel today and go, we're in, and oh no, there's all those other people that are lost, okay? But the point I believe that Jesus makes when he talks about living your life on solid rock isn't so that you can feel secure in yourself, isn't so that you can take pride in anything you've done, but God has placed you on a rock, and all the rest of the world is shifting sand, and what would be the purpose then? Isn't to point at those that are falling in shifting sand. It isn't to make note of them. It isn't to, but to, 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 while you're placed on solid rock is to reach your arm down. Jude uses those very words in the next few verses we'll read in the next coming weeks that says, snatch others from the fires of hell. That yes, you'll, there, there are those that are perishing and you've been rescued and now you're on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. But don't, don't, don't put yourself up on a pedestal of the solid rock, no. But you're positioned there so that you can reach to the shifting sand, those that are fought, rescue the perishing, that you can you work while it's yet day for the night's coming when no one can work, that you can grab as many people as possible and snatch them from darkness into the glory of in light of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? So, Lord, as we go from this place, and, and even as a few of us run over here a couple blocks away and, and, and open our hearts and minds up to doing ministry uh, differently, yeah, we, we'll still gather for worship and classes and Sundays and Wednesdays, but is there, is there a different spot? Is there a different uh, uh, extension of the church that, that you want for us? Help us to sense and know and uh, to make a good decision as a team and as a church and, and uh, to, to believe that uh, the, the, the goodness of what you have for us is still unfolding in front of us and for us to take a big, bold step and uh, consider other things. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be a part of it and that you'd help us to have one mind and one heart. And if there's anybody here today that's themselves feel like they've been walking in darkness, <laughs> Lord, may they reach their arm up to you right now. May they reach their, in, in their, their heart and their mind, may they reach their arm up towards heaven because this, the strength and the power of Jesus to rescue each one of us is as close as our, us calling on your name. Yeah. So may, may there be those here today that say yes to Jesus, that extend their arms to him and begin a journey to knowing God, finding forgiveness hope into the future. In Jesus' name, and all the church said, amen. Lord bless you as you go from this place.
You can find us online at falls.church or by searching Facebook at facebook.com slash fallschurch.cc.